1: The U.S. Air Force, the US Air Force it's, makes, it's, it's the agency that makes pilots. And in one recent 12-month period, it made 250 of them trained up to fly bombers and fighter jets. But that is versus the 350 who were trained during the same period to fly drones by remote control. 350 drone pilots versus 250 traditional. Clearly a trend that has good reasons behind it, as the U.S., uh, and especially the CIA, sends these riderless aircraft week after week after al-Qaeda. But there's also a backlash against the drones and worries that the way that we're using these weapons could come back to bite us. Well, this sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. The U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. We're at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two, who will argue for and against this motion, the US drone program is fatally flawed. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then the live audience votes to choose the winner. And let's meet the team arguing for this motion. Let's first welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Ahmed Rashid. And Ahmed, you're a journalist, you're a best-selling author. In your youth, straight out of Cambridge, you moved to Baluchistan in Pakistan and became a guerrilla fighter and a political organizer for 10 years. You then became a journalist, and before September 11th, you spent some time with the Taliban and wrote a book called Taliban Militant Islam, Oil and Fundamentalism in Central Asia. According to the New York Times, when you wrote this book, you, quote, wore out your welcome with the Taliban, meaning that it wasn't exactly a fluff piece.
2: Well, that's not entirely true because uh, there is uh, a peace lobby within the Taliban, and they do talk to me still. But the hard line is, I agree, uh, I don't like me very much. And thank you, Ahmed
1: Rashid. And your partner is? Kale. John Kale 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 Weston. Weston. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, John Kale Weston. Kale, you're also arguing that the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. You had a very interesting and unorthodox career in the State Department. You were there for 10 years. Seven of those years, you were in Iraq and Afghanistan. You were in the dust with U.S. Marines. You were out there in the field more than any other State Department officer. Newsweek, uh, Kale called you a um, a renegade diplomat, in part because of this uh, style in the field, but also because you had some issues in dealing with authority. Uh, So... (laughs) It's this debate, you're up against a general and an admiral, both four stars. Are you a little intimidated by that?
0: Not really. Not because, they're, <laughs> not because they're not great gentlemen, but, you know, I got starstruck my first year and then realized that I would no more rather be with people in the military than with the gentlemen across the table. But I, I have to say, that being said, uh, you know, Ambassador Holbrook used to remind me what uh, Premier Clemenceau said about war, which is it's too important to leave to military men.
1: John Cale Weston. And our motion is, the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed, and here to argue against this motion, two debaters. First, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dennis Blair. Dennis, you are a former director of national intelligence, a retired four-star general in the Navy, sixth-generation naval officer in your family. You commanded the United States Pacific Command. Words used about you include often cerebral brainy workaholic you're fluent in russian you're a road scholar but we've also heard that you once tried to water ski behind the navy destroyer (laughs) which tells which tells us what about
3: you well you you can be over prepared for the task at hand
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you dennis Blair, ladies and gentlemen
3: and dennis your partner is one of the uh, wise warriors of my generation in the Armed Forces, uh, retired Air Force General Norton Schwartz.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Norton Schwartz, General Norton Schwartz. Uh, you have only recently retired as the U.S. Air Force's top officer. Uh, you were its chief of staff in 2012 after 39 years of service. As a command pilot, you have more than 4,400 hours under your belt. And it was under your leadership that actually the Air Force uh, retooled significantly in the direction of uh, drone aircraft, remote pilot, remotely piloted aircraft. And I, I just want to know have you actually piloted one of those riderless planes?
4: I have. And interestingly enough, it's harder than it looks. It's not a cartoon. The interesting thing, ladies and gentlemen, is that you don't have the sensations of flight that you actually have in an aircraft, and it, it makes a big difference.
1: So it's a different kind of pilot. It,
4: well, it's a, it is a different piloting experience, for sure. Okay,
1: thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, Norton Schwartz, General Norton Schwartz. <clears throat> Our motion is the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. On to round one. Opening statements from each of our debaters in turn. First to speak, John Cale Weston. He is a former State Department officer. He spent seven years in Iraq and Afghanistan as an advisor to U.S. Marine combat units. He is now a regular contributor to the Daily Beast. He's writing a book due to be published in 2014. Ladies and gentlemen, John Cale Weston.
0: One thing left out of my bio was that my mother's a fifth-grade school teacher, so if you'll bear with me, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things she taught me. Okay, the quiz. If you could pull out a piece of paper, uh, my mom will be proud, or if you can take some mental notes, I'm going to ask you two questions, and I think they're important questions and they're relevant. The first is, after 12 years of constant warfare, uh, what words or adjectives do you think Afghans or Iraqis or Yemenis associate with the United States of America? Nouns, adjectives, whatever comes to mind. And then secondly, what words would you associate with uh, our nation, the United States of America, after 12 years of basically constant warfare? Second question is, why is May first, two 2010 relevant to this debate? Don't Google it, don't use your iPhones, but if that rings a bell with you, we'll come back to it. My points are going to be based on having lived in interesting places like Fallujah, Host, Helmand. I view my role tonight as being the ambassador for the people that don't get a voice on this debate, which are really the Afghans and the Pakistanis, most of the people I sat across the table from and, and heard the stories after the drones uh, launched the Hellfire missiles. So if I do that well enough, hopefully you'll get some of their voices, which is what motivated me mostly uh, in this debate, is to not speak as a former State Department official, but to actually speak for, for the people. In 2004, drones were not armed. They were eyes in the sky. The Fallugians would look up, they'd hear a flying lawnmower... The women would hang their clothes and get awkward and uncomfortable. The city leaders would come into our meetings and be irritated, but they weren't yet strategically against us. And, of course, this was the site of the largest battle of the Iraq War. When did they become fatally flawed, and who did they become fatal to? They became fatal to civilians, more than a few, and they became fatal, I believe, to all of us. In Afghanistan in early 2009, Marine General Larry Nicholson and I we're in a place called Tagaz, which is basically the southern reaches of our area of operation. We met a bunch of Marines who were alone and unafraid, the edge of the American military empire overstretched, we all know the story. The next day, in the same location, a suicide bomber blew himself up, killed two Marines, and killed a corpsman. Within a few days, we identified some suspicious-looking guys who were near the area from above. Two drone strikes landed, a couple of Hellfire missiles, One of the men was killed right away. The other one was split in two. And we all watched as he tried to drag himself into the hole uh, from the first strike. He couldn't hide. He bled out. He died. Was he a good guy? Absolutely not. But was he found out to be directly tied to the attack? No. That happens more than we'd like to admit. I found a very convincing op-ed by a very senior former member of our government, highly experienced, wrote it brilliantly. And it was titled, uh, Drones are Alone Are Not the Answer. And it was a New York Times op-ed that came out on August 14, 2011. He said, the important question today is whether continued unilateral drone attacks will substantially re- reduce al-Qaeda's capabilities. They will not. And I'm pleased that he is on stage with us. It's Admiral Blair. And I look forward to hearing more comments based on the argument he made in the New York Times. So thank I'm you. out of time, but Th- thank you. Thank
1: you, John Cale Weston. Our motion is the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed and here to speak against the motion in the opening position, General Norton Schwartz. He retired as Chief of Staff of the U.S. Air Force in 2012 after serving 39 years. He is currently President and CEO of Business Executives for National Security. Ladies and gentlemen, General Norton Schwartz.
4: What I want to do tonight, and I submit, ladies and gentlemen, that the Employment of U.S. strike capable systems is a viable and a rational response to a vexing battlefield problem. One that must be calibrated, used with care, synced with policy, but nonetheless, one that allows us to pursue our objectives in a fashion that minimizes loss of life for friendly forces and maximizes opportunity to avoid needless casualties of friendlies, in other words, collateral damage. Simply, remotely piloted aircraft or drones permit more considered and more accurate, more proportionate application of lethal force than any other comparable weapon system. Because they can spend longer time over the target than equivalent manned aircraft, They give their operators the time to maximize the certainty that they are engaging the right enemy combatants and that they have the time and the means to confirm the presence of non-combatants in the presence of the intended target. Thoughtful observers like our partners tonight have mentioned a number of criticisms. Let me talk quickly about a couple of them. One is... The absence of physical risk to the operator encourages our political leadership to use remote systems more often than they would if they had to put American troops in harm's way. I would counter by asking whether those who use this argument would prefer for the American military to absorb casualties just for the purpose of making war less numbing. To the political leadership. In addition, at the tactical level, soldiers and airmen under fire on the ground, I think you would agree, Kale, are far more likely to shoot back at the sources of fire aimed against them with greater danger to non-combatants than our remote operators whose safety and lives are not at immediate risk. There's also a concern that non-state or state actors will use these technologies against us in a more crude and indiscriminate fashion than do we, and, well, they might. But the reality is is that this technology is proliferating, and not because we chose to use it. It is a fact of technology advancing, and our lead was and remains significant.
1: Thank you, Norton Schwartz. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Our motion is the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed and here to speak in support of the motion. In other words, he feels the program is fatally flawed. Ahmed Rashid, he is a Pakistani journalist based in Lahore and the best-selling author of several books, including Taliban and Pakistan on the Brink. Ladies and
2: gentlemen, Ahmed Rashid. The first thing I think to make clear is that, unfortunately, drones it's a weapon, it's a tool, it's a tactic, has almost become a strategy in itself. And this is how foreign governments and and countries where drones are being used see it. So in fact, drones are undermining U.S. foreign policy. They become the only symbol of foreign policy which people abroad remember when when those countries in particular are targeted. Some of the countries, uh, like Yemen, like Pakistan, are in fact allies of the United States. And drones are being used against allies. Naturally, that is infuriating the population um, even more. Secondly, how badly have drones affected the counterterrorism strategy, the much more sophisticated strategy that has emerged from the U.S. in the last few years? Again, here we see the counterterrorism strategy being undermined completely by drones because, you know, the people are very scared of them. And they do take out civilian targets just as much as they take out al-Qaeda. The other question which I think has to be agitating the minds of many Americans is is how legal is this? How legal is it to bomb and kill um, individuals in another country with which you are not at war? Nobody is informed as to why and how uh, these people are being killed. The lack of transparency is not helped by the fact that the CIA has been mostly involved in using drones, especially in, in, in Pakistan. Um, now, what all this is leading to is an enormous buildup of hatred for the United States. And that is, is not just affecting people in the target countries, but people all over the Muslim world in particular. Now, what should also be worrying is the precedent that is being set. First of all, what happens if a European country or Russia or a so-called ally of the United States uses drones? What is the U.S. strategy going to be? Are you going to tell that country to behave itself and say, no, only we have the right to kill people in other countries. You don't have that right. Even more dangerous, what happens when an enemy of the United States uses drones? What happens if North Korea tomorrow uses drones to kill South Koreans? What happens if, any, if, if the Syrians or any of the, the, the problematic regimes start using drones? What will be the U.S. policy then? Are you going to go and bomb those countries? There's a complete vacuum here. There's no thought being given to this. But this could happen tomorrow. I think the other thing that, is that I must answer is the, the issue of civilian casualties. There is, for example, a drone strategy now where um, drones fire what are called signature strikes. That is, if a bunch of militants are seen or one or two militants are seen in a group of civilians, drones are used, can be used to kill that militant. But, of course, they kill everybody else in the truck, too. Women, children, men, um, uh, civilians. Lastly, I think we have to understand how drones have become a recruiting poster for al-Qaeda and for global jihad. Even local groups, local militant groups in countries which had nothing to do with al-Qaeda, nothing to do with global jihad, if they have been droned, they become global jihadists. They want to strike back at America.
1: Ahmed Rashid, your time is up. Thank you very much. And here's where we are. We are in the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. You have heard three of the opening statements And now on to the fourth. Let's welcome to the lectern, Admiral Dennis Blair. Dennis Blair served as Director of National Intelligence during his 34-year Navy career and served as Commander-in-Chief, U.S. Pacific Command. Ladies and gentlemen, Admiral Dennis
3: Blair. General Schwartz addressed the uh, use of drones in a battlefield area with U.S. troops uh, deployed. I'm going to talk about the more controversial uh, program in which we use drones in areas in which we do not have our troops in action, and Pakistan, of course, is the, the primary example that comes to, comes to mind. In fact, uh, I would tell you that there, in fact, is no independent drone program. The drones are part of a wider strategy which is dedicated to ending the threat from al-Qaeda. The policy of the drones, a tactic to, to an end, are to take care of the hardcore leaders and fighters who are not persuadable, who are not going to change their demonstrated and committed intention to kill as many Americans as they can uh, before they can can accomplish that. And the leadership of these organizations uh, hold up in places like Northwest Pakistan and Yemen, places where the governments of our allies, as Mr. Rashid said, do not control their territory. It's worse in Pakistan. They not only do not control their territory, They give permission to the United States to take action where they cannot, and then they blame us for doing it, which accounts for a great deal of the sentiment in Pakistan when a a dissembling uh, hypocritical policy of Pakistani politicians allows them to blame us for actions which they themselves uh, permit. Now, the drones have been successful. We have killed most of the people who planned, who directed, and then who gloated over the felling of the Twin Towers, the attack on the Pentagon and the aborted attack that ended in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And we have done that not only with drones, but by armed raids, as we saw in, in Pakistan, by a lot of cooperation uh, with other countries and, a lot of, and by a lot of hard intelligence. So drones have played a key role in a successful, what I would argue, first phase of our overall campaign of, against Al-Qaeda. But what about the next phase? Now the job is to reduce al-Qaeda from a small-scale threat, which is where it now is, to a nuisance. And to do that, we have to undercut support for al-Qaeda. We have to make sure that Muslim mothers and fathers don't think it's a good idea to send their sons and daughters to strap on suicide vests and to kill innocent people around the world. There will be a role for drones in that next phase of this, uh, of this long-term combat against uh, al-Qaeda Uh, But it will be a more limited, more discriminating role. And it's only through a campaign like this, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that we can turn al-Qaeda into just one more in the long line of terrorist groups that flared up, guttered, and then died, which is where it belongs. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis Blair. And that concludes round one of this
1: Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. Now we move on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address one another directly and answer questions from you in the audience and, and from me as well. We have two teams of two arguing against this motion, the team arguing for the motion that the program is fatally flawed: uh, Ahmed Rashid and John Cale Weston, the journalist and the diplomat. Uh, we've heard them argue that uh, drones give a bad name to the United States, that they have become a negative symbol, that uh, They are killing civilians as much as they're killing al-Qaeda, and that they're a a factor that is building up hatred against the United States and working as a recruiting poster for al-Qaeda. The team arguing against the motion, the Admiral and the General, Dennis Blair and Norton Schwartz, are arguing that drones are far more accurate than any comparable weapon system, that they minimize loss of life certainly for U.S. troops but also for civilians on the ground because of that accuracy, and that they have done their job, that they have decimated, Al-Qaeda. I want to go to uh, the the team that's arguing against the motion, which means that you do not think the program is flawed, and and quote back to you something that one of your opponents, Ahmed Rashid, said. He said that the drones take out civilian targets just as much as they take out Al-Qaeda. And I don't know, Ahmed, uh, how literally you meant that, but I want to put the question to this side. In terms of this proportion of civilian casualties to desired targets, what, what do we know about that? Well, the best... Norton Schwartz.
4: The best information we have, one of the best sources, is the Long War Journal. It estimates that civilian casualties versus legitimate combatants in the Afghan theater is about one to seven. In other words, one civilian casualty to seven legitimate combatant. In Yemen, about one civilian casualty to five. Now, you can question whether Long War, War Journal's uh, analysis is accurate. It's consistent with some of the U.N. reporting as well. I would argue that any loss of life, any civilian loss of life, is is not what uniformed personnel strive to for. They strive to avoid that outcome.
1: Let me take it over to Ahmed Rashid. Rashid, uh, Ahmed, I was, I was quoting you as saying that the civilian loss is just as much as the, uh, the, the deaths of al-Qaeda targets. I don't know if you meant it 50-50.
2: Well, you know, we, we really don't know. I mean, but certainly there's enough evidence uh, in, in countries like Pakistan and Afghanistan that civilians, you know, have died in, in considerable numbers. Now, that's probably getting less and less as drones become more and more accurate. But as long as things like what I described, these six signature strikes continue, where it is justified for a controller to drop a bomb on a group of people in which some of them may be militants and others not, obviously you're going to get civilian casualties. The factor of the matter is that, you know, this is really uh, undermining and destroying everything else that the U.S. is trying to do in these countries.
1: I want to come a little bit later back to the topic of of signature strikes and talk about those more specifically. But just uh, back to to, uh, Dennis Blair uh, on this notion of the accuracy of these weapons. Uh, your, Your team is arguing that, in fact, because they can hover over an area for so many hours because... Maybe you're even saying because there's not a pilot with his heart beating and racing and being shot at that there can, there's a more rational and sober process happening at the pilot end of this. Is there something I'm trying to get at, is there something in the nature of the weapon itself that uh, results in an accuracy that's being produced on the battlefield because your opponents are saying that they're sloppy?
3: Well, I think you have to say compared to, compared to what. And when one compares the... Accuracy and the killing and wounding of, of bystanders from drones compared to, for example, artillery from a manned, uh, manned aircraft, then it has fewer uh, casualties. That doesn't mean it's zero, and everyone, as General Schwartz said, uh, is to be regretted, but it is a, I can tell you, your regrets are fewer if you're operating drones than if you're shooting artillery.
1: Let me, let me take that then to the other side and to take it to John Cal West. And the other side is making a compelling argument that, in fact, the number of casualties is going to be lower than if somebody were dropping a bomb, firing an artillery shell, or even putting boots on the ground, that the proportion is lower.
0: No, I think that the, the key part of the, the ratio of one to seven and one to five is the equal sign behind. And that equal sign is a factor of two, three, four, five. What basically I think we're losing focus of is what kind of reaction you're getting in village after village after village and how many more enemies and how many more targets are you creating even if one afghan or one Pakistani is killed. So I, I don't want to argue numbers. I think it's a strategic equal sign at the end of the ratio that is the real problem.
1: I'll, I'll go to uh, to Norton Schwartz. Your opponents have said they've referred to the drones as a recruiting uh, poster for al-Qaeda uh, because of the, the bitter resentment that is resulting uh, in areas where they're being used. And uh, do, you, do you see that? I, I understand the argument, but
4: I, but the counter to it is the reality that the U.N. reports that 80 to 84 percent of the civilian casualties in Iraq and Afghanistan were caused by the insurgency.
1: Ahmed Rashid.
2: Look, uh, if, if, if I can just make one point, neither of you two, with all due respect, have addressed this whole issue about U.S. foreign policy and the use of drones, that foreign policy is being subsumed by technology. We've never had this before. I mean, how can you allow technology to determine uh, I mean, what are, your foreign policy is? Are you, are you saying
1: mean? then that, that drones in themselves represent a new dimension in this conflict? In other words, are you, are you, would
2: you be making the same argument if planes were dropping bombs? I'm saying that this is the impact that they're having in, in the countries that receive these drones. This is what the public thinks because, the, you know, d- drones are a very sinister way of killing people. And let, me, let me
3: talk about uh, Yemen and just take us a little bit out of Pakistan here for a while. In the last two years, we have given $600 million in assistance to uh, to Yemen. Of that, virtually two-thirds has been economic, economic assistance, humanitarian assistance, and governance uh, assistance. I'm sorry, but the reality is that it is a broad-based program of which drones are a part, used very selectively, and the people who uh, look carefully can un- understand that. The people who just... Uh, want to read the first headline and say that's all of American policy, are going to stop there.
0: You know, there are two narratives that work here. There's the, the American narrative, and there's their narrative. We spend a lot of time talking to each other about our narrative, but if you listen to the future leaders of Afghanistan, drones is a big issue because it is about the legalities. The law students at Host University used to ask me, what is your case for drones? just like Guantanamo, just like the language of these wars that we're in. They are very, very big on how we're doing our wars. So if we lose that narrative to al-Qaeda, I do think that ratio is actually the equal sign. And if I lined up a bunch of Afghans on this stage, I can tell you what they tell us is probably what we don't want to hear, but we need to hear. And that's really the goal for me tonight, is to is to bring their po- voice into this debate. I just want to take
1: that to, the, to this side. What they're saying, regardless of the intentions and even the structure, That word is out, not just in the American media, but that word is out in the communities that the the drones are different, drones are more dangerous, drones, uh, you used the word uh, sinister, that that it's a different kind of thing. And I just want to, if you were having dinner about this conversation, and he shared that I'm just back, what would you say to him?
4: It's pretty straightforward, (laughs) actually. And that is, the the reality is that we have a a scenario where the, the Weapon, the platform is not the issue. It's the legitimacy of the target and the targeting methodology that goes along with it.
1: Ahmed Rashid, I want to move this to a different direction. Your opponents have made the point repeatedly, particularly in their opening statements, that the drones have killed a lot of guys that they were supposed to kill, that they have decimated al-Qaeda, and that al-Qaeda is on the way to becoming a footnote in history because of it, which was the whole purpose. Do you dispute their effectiveness
2: in, 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 w- w- on that agenda? I don't dispute at all that certainly many senior members of al-Qaeda have been killed. But this is a weapon that has opened up a Pandora's box of questions. There are a whole range of of political issues and political answers that are needed in order for this weapon to be really legal, be legitimate, and be justified.
1: So, Dennis Blair, your your opponent, Ahmed Rashid, has mentioned, and I said that I would get back to this, this whole notion of signature strikes – in which the target is chosen by a pattern of suspicious-looking behavior, maybe going frequently to a house where there are known to be bad guys. And I want to know, do you, do you put that into a different category? Is that morally more challenging an issue, when you don't actually have the name, but you just have a kind of profile?
3: Yeah, I, I can talk about those, because I received the phone calls every every time uh, we conducted a cocktail strike. This was up through the middle of 2010. And... I think that the administration has been really derelict in not talking about these, because they are based on the self-defense of American and Afghan forces. These signature strikes that were conducted in Pakistan, all of them during my time, and the great majority overall, had to do with armed groups of men who were coming out of known Taliban and known Taliban TTP areas on roads headed towards Afghanistan and we knew that they were not friendly, they were armed, we know what their arms were, and we knew that they were coming to attack Afghans and Americans and others, and we killed them before they could do that. Let's go to some questions. Thank you for taking
1: my question. Um, I just wanted to address this question to the gentleman on the left. You bring up these points that um, the, uh, the Afghani people, the Pakistani people are upset, and it's, incre- it's increasing recruitment for Al Qaeda and other um, anti-U.S. sentiment in these areas because we're using drones, would the effect not be the same if we were using cluster bombs or snipers or landmines or any other way of killing these people? Is it the drone yeah. that's the issue or that's is an it excellent just killing question. Them? I, I, I had actually put it before and didn't feel that I got answered, so thank you for bringing it up a second time. Yeah.
0: I'll briefly, rules of engagement are pretty tight uh, in Marine combat units. And so, yes, there's going to be blowback. It's a good question. It's a very legitimate question. The the rules, the lack of the rules, actually, I believe, in our drone program, that is the biggest problem. There is not, for example, a a Marine general necessarily that technically can command where those drones go because they're operated in a different chain of command, and we don't need to get too technical, um, and that may be changing. Um, But yes, Afghans are going to respond to a cluster bomb going off or an RPG being launched in the wrong direction. But I have faith that our forces, if one thing over 12 years have learned, is they've learned quite a bit of restraint. And then the rules of engagement have gotten a lot tighter. I'm John Donvan, and
1: this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. Hello, I'm John Donvan moderator of intelligence squared us join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going i want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this intelligence squared u.s debate i'm john donvan your moderator we have four debaters two teams of two debating this motion the u.s drone program is fatally flawed ma'am
2: hi my name is Alyssa. And um, this is directed towards uh, Admiral Blair and General Schwartz. We talked a lot about how the drones may be causing a lot of innocent civilians to really have hate towards the American people. So do you think that the number of terrorists you have successfully killed using drones is greater than the number of young people who will be conditioned to hate America from the drone strikes and therefore become terrorists themselves? But
1: do you seriously, I mean... I see where you're getting with the question. They just can't count on that. They can't count. They oh, of course not. But your, your larger point is, are they creating more enemies than they're killing? Yes. No, of course. Okay. That's good.
3: So go ahead. Um, it's a judgment. It's a judgment as to just how hard you use that weapon because it kills other people and it causes other effects, which our opponents have ably said. I think, I think the only overall judgment we can make is that Al-Qaeda is far less capable of the sort of attacks that it was in the past than it is now. Drones have been a part of reducing it in that, in that capability, and therefore overall the balance is in favor of the sort of campaign the United States has conducted.
4: And I, I would only amplify by, Schwartz. by suggesting you have a situation where you want desperately – to avoid having a larger military presence. So my, my counter-question would be, what's the alternative? What, what is the least
1: intrusive, invasive alternative? That's a question I'd like to put to the other side, since you've actually phrased it as a question. If you want to kill al-Qaeda in these hard-to-reach places today, what is the alternative to the drones?
0: KLSP. You know, I, my view has always been the most important battle going on does not include U.S. Marines versus Taliban. It's inside the mosques, inside the madrasas, it's inside the communities. And actually, I'm all in favor of not sending in the 1st Marine Division anywhere again for the most part. However... I think that we've lost sight of who the best fighters are in these battles, and it's actually not an American anywhere. It's an Afghan, it's a Yemeni, it's a Pakistani. So when you listen to our allies who want us to succeed, who want us to be safe, they are pretty uniform in their indictment of drones.
4: It's easy easy to do that uh, uh, if they don't control their own territory.
0: You well, know, there's, there's a lot of mythology about what SEALs and drones can do together, and I think what the American people look at joystick warfare and think, well, why not have SEALs and drones fix everything? But that that's also not a strategy. Ma'am?
4: Yes. Um, Ellie Roth. I just want to know, who decides what drones are to be sent out? Is it the CIA that tells the military? That's the mystery. That When we hear about drone strikes, we don't understand... Who's responsible? Who's made the decision? Is it policy? Is it someone who's mad okay. at someone?
1: We, I'll, get, I'll get, let these guys answer your question. Uh, let's go to uh, Admiral Blair, Dennis Blair.
3: Right. The, the decision on uh, what is a t- target that can be struck either by a military or by a or by an intelligence uh, CIA drone is made under uh, criteria that are approved by the White House, that are then promulgated, and a series of officials, including. Uh, lawyers, uh, officials in in each of those agencies in the chains of command, then apply them to actual names of al-Qaeda and other combatants. Once they satisfy the criteria, then they are a legitimate target. At that point, the question is, can you truly tell, is that a person that you found and can strike, and is there a uh, relatively uh, small level of collateral damage, that is, innocent people around that person before you make the strike. That's how it's done.
2: Ahmad Rashid. I just want to answer the question that the lady posed, which I think we should go back to. And, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, for the Admiral to describe the individuals who are involved in this decision-making doesn't give us the criteria. I mean, what is the criteria for choosing who's going to live and who's going to die? Or today, or today who's going to be droned or not. Now, I'm not asking for all this to be made public, but I think you know, there must be much, a much greater degree of satisfaction that people understand you know, why these targets are being chosen. And that is just not there at all.
1: I'm going to take another question. Uh, hi, my name is John D'Agostino. This question's for the four uh, side. You've made the point uh, several times, uh, talking about our allies, quote, uh, indictment of this policy. I presume by that you mean Pakistan. How do you reconcile that indictment with their cooperation? And consequently, how much of that indictment is actually hypocrisy?
2: Uh, Can I just say one thing first? And that is that most European US allies, allies of the US in Europe, are against drones. As far as I know, only the British have openly, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, support the U.S. policy. Uh, but in other words, nobody in the world, basically, is backing uh, the U.S. use of drones. That's a point that is often completely forgotten in, you know, in the American media. Let me, let me ask your opponents, is in, that relevant? The is, the American
1: American is that relevant, no. uh, Dennis Blair? And I'll come back to you, Rahman.
2: Well,
3: I mean, <laughs> what's your evidence, Mr. Rashid? No one in the world uh, can you be a little more specific well
2: uh, you, look can you give at me the...
3: resolutions by legislatures in other countries can you give me well act- I, with, with all due respect that,
0: I, mean, I, I haven't heard a lot of you know rah-rah drones and i've been in the state department for 12 years so whether nato raises their arm and says we approve the drone program i know general dunford and his political advisor Cardinal Cajun, have their hands full all the time on these issues but is it a popular thing? I highly doubt that. I, I, I mean, don't mean, it's know not any... a
3: popular thing in the United States. We yeah. don't like well, killing people. But, but, we
0: only do it when we have to. R- well, I'm not sure we only go when we have to. I think it's, it's, it's actually, I think, easier for the American people to think it's joystick warfare and send in SIL Team 6. And that's also another issue that we could get into. Well, I would simply, I would simply say that
3: the, the drones are handled with the same care concern, discrimination that the armed forces of the United States and other American agencies handle all other weapons which they know can kill the innocent as well as the, the enemy. And I think their inherent characteristics allow them to be more on the side of killing those who they intend to kill with fewer others.
1: Dennis Plain, let me follow up on that and, and ask you this question. It came up a little bit before.
3: Sometimes,
1: in certain circumstances, some weapons seem to raise different moral or ethical challenges to their use. Nuclear weapons, classic example. What, what about this notion that there's a, a, a different, perhaps sinister quality to the weapon itself because it's in a different category? I'll,
3: I'll, I mean, there's a novelty factor. Anything that's new and long-range and all is it seems inherently more fascinating, sinister, and interesting we've seen that with new weapons as they, over the generations as they, as they come along. Certainly media it tends to give it that overwhelming force that uh, mr rashid has has talked about i think we have to get beyond that to what are the actual facts about uh, what's going on on the battlefield are we achieving our objectives are we are we not narrative shmerative you know it's it's are you are you getting uh, to your to your objectives which are to be able to defeat to the taliban americans. and protect americans yeah sir i'm ten here uh, my question is for the side, uh, side arguing against the motion. Does the fact that
4: the drone program cuts down on Ameri- uh, American Armed Forces casualties, does that enable U.S. to engage in more reckless conflicts around the world? Look, I mean, this, is, this is the fundamental question. Remember, that is not a military call. That That is a call for civilian leadership. And there is an argument that, fewer American casualties might encourage political leadership to be more aggressive or more reckless. But that's what best military advice is all about. Remember, we have a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who is the president's principal military advisor. Ultimately, we salute, but the key thing here is that that is a legitimate concern, but it is one that the military, the uniforms, feel personally.
1: Ahmed Rashid, when you say that it's already becoming a strategy as opposed to a tactic, do you think that dynamic is already in play, that presidents are authorizing these strikes in part because they can without a cost back home?
2: I think that's very true. And Uh, I fear very much that given the uh, turmoil in, going on now in the Middle East and other parts of the world, the reluctance of the Americans and the Europeans to want to get involved in, uh, by putting troops or peacekeepers or anything on, on the ground, we're going to get more and more of this, that we throw technology at the problem. We throw drones at the problem. And, and that, I think, is going to be a very, very dangerous uh, world to live in, frankly.
1: And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S debate, where our motion is, the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. So on to round three. Round three, closing statements by each debater in turn, and here to summarize his position against the motion, Norton Schwartz. He's former chief of staff of the U.S. Air Force. Ladies and gentlemen, General Norton Schwartz.
4: I'd just like to relate a quick vignette Um, In earlier days, when I was flying airplanes, I flew a gunship. And there was one occasion when I remember the following call came from the ground. Troops in contact need help now. When an airman hears, no, no matter what service, Navy, Army, Marine Corps, Air Force, hears Troops in contact need help now. There is an immediate response. It is visceral, but not necessarily as accurate or as coherent as you might like it to be if you, were, if you could have been there for hours prior and will remain there for hours after, which is the case with the remote aircraft or the drone technology today. I would just conclude by saying that use of drones is neither sport nor a failed tactic, and you must vote against the proposition and the
1: adverb fatally. Thank you. Thank you, Norman Schwartz. Our motion is the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed and here to argue... Here to share his closing statement in support of the motion, John Cale Weston. He is former State Department advisor to Marine Units in Iraq and Afghanistan. Ladies and gentlemen, John Cal Weston.
0: I opened with a quiz about what words or nouns, adjectives, you think they associate with the United States of America after 12 years of constant warfare. I don't have time to, to ask you what those words are, but... Occasionally, I would hear words like Apple. They had the Apple phone, Obama, money. But unfortunately, toward the top of that list was D for drones. It wasn't D for democracy. It actually, to be frank, wasn't the nation building. It was it was the CT. It was the counter terrorist platform. Um, and I think we should think about that. Do we want that to be kind of at the top of the list of what they think about us? After 12 years, billions of dollars, thousands of Americans killed, over 100,000 Iraqis, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> The second point I'm going to now just cite uh, to the question of what happened on May 1st, 2010. Uh, it was Faisal Shah- Shahzad who, just a few blocks from here, tried to blow up a blue 1993 Nissan Pathfinder. In that Pathfinder was three 20-gallon propane tanks, a big uh, green metal gun locker that contained a metal pressure cooker pot, 250 pounds of urea-based fertilizer, and eight plastic bags with 120 M88s. The New York City Police Commissioner Ray Kelly said the bomb would have killed many. Uh, what did Faisal Shahzad say? Faisal Shahzad was asked by a judge what motivated him to try and blow up that Nissan. Here's what he said. Well, the drone hits in Afghanistan and Iraq, he said finally. They don't see children, they don't see anybody, they kill women, children, they kill everybody. It's a war and in war they kill people. One final point. Boston Marathon bombing, April fifteenth, two 2013. I don't have time to read what Dokart Tsarnaev said. But basically he said the same thing. We Muslims are one body. You hurt one. You hurt us all. The U.S. government is killing our innocent civilians. John Kale Weston,
1: you're out of time. Thank you very much. Our motion is the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Dennis Blair, former director of national intelligence. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Blair.
3: I've listened closely to... uh debaters on on the other side and there there is an awful lot of uh, anecdote and and generalization there let me tell a quick story from november of 2011 a us uh, patrol that was on the eastern border of afghanistan and pakistan thought it was being fired on in the night called for close support fire a us manned armed helicopter came up uh, under under direction of these ground units uh, fired at the units they thought were threatening them, and ended up killing 24 Pakistani soldiers. Things happen that are bad in war, whether you have manned systems or unmanned systems. This is the nature of combat, and you have to make a balanced judgment about it. I I do find it ironic to be on this side of the motion because, as Mr. Weston said, I, I, I was one of the first people who came out in public against some ways in which the drones were being used in Pakistan, uh... Well over, two, well over two years ago. however, I was not against the technology itself. So I believe you have to vote against this, against this motion. That doesn't mean that you like all of the drone program. doesn't mean you think it needs to be adjusted, changed, and the narrative needs to be improved, but I don't think we should take it out of the hands of uh, those who are trying to defend the United States. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dennis Blair.. Our motion is, the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. And here to summarize his position in support of this motion, our final speaker of the evening, Ahmed Rashid, a journalist and author of Pakistan on the Brink. Ladies and gentlemen, Ahmed Rashid.
2: The use of drones has immensely complicated America's relations with its allies. You look at the situation in, in three countries where drone bases have been set up secretly Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen. The U.S. set up drone bases with the help of the local regimes, which were invariably dictatorships of one kind or another. They lied to their own people, these governments. They lied and said, no, no, there's no such thing as U.S. bases here. There's no drone bases here at all. These are, people are being killed by artillery shells or by bombing or something else. And what happened was that, you know, the, the public became more and more anti-regime and anti-American, which led to political crises in certainly two of these three countries. And it could well still lead to a political crisis in Saudi Arabia. So you have now such a complicated scenario operating where drones are creating... Um, delegitimizing um, regimes in the region and, and also creating immense hatred um, for the United States. Now, this is just one aspect of what I see as a future fraught with immense problems related to drones, which we are not even beginning to think about. And, Ahmed Rashid,
1: I'm sorry that at that point particularly, your time is up. Thank you very much. And that concludes our closing statements, and now it's time to learn which side you feel argued the best. Um, And while we're doing that, one thing I want to do, I I felt that this debate tonight had an emotional undertone to it. These are very, very passionate issues and difficult ones, and yet the level of the debate was remarkably civil and informed and respectable. So I want to congratulate all of our debaters. So... We have the final vote results. Remember, the team whose numbers have changed the most in percentage point turns before the debate and after the debate will be declared our winner. The motion is this. The U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. The vote went this way before the motion. Twenty-three percent agreed that the program is flawed. Thirty-four percent were against. Forty-three percent were undecided. Those are the first results. The second vote, the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed. The team arguing for the motion. Their second vote was 23%. They gained zero. That is the number to beat. (laughs) The team arguing against the motion, their first vote was 34%. Their second vote was 64%. That's a gain of 30 percentage points. The motion, the U.S. drone program is fatally flawed, has been defeated. Our congratulations to that team. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Chris Kamakawa is researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared U.S. is supported by the Rosencrantz Foundation and distributed by NPR.